we're going to start there in verse 36. And so somebody go ahead and just read that paragraph for us, 36 to 41 at the end of the chapter. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay. So, very interesting uh, paragraph for us tonight. <coughs> so, when we look at the timeline, what would we call what we're going to start to go into, uh, what we're going to see here uh, in the coming paragraphs? How would we describe this set, uh, this part of Paul's life? Yeah, yeah. So we've already gone through the first missionary journey when Paul and Barnabas were together. Right? And so then what we're going to start getting into now is what people would call the second missionary journey. And so just to help with the context, uh, because <clears throat> as we think through Scripture, we always want to make sure we understand the context. Now, when I say context, what does that mean? What, what, what parts are context? When you think about Scripture... What, what points are we looking for to understand the context? Background. Okay. The background of the situation that's going on. All right. Period. What's that? Time period. Yeah. When is this going on? Who's involved? Okay. Who's there? Uh, you know, who's doing the speaking? Whom are they speaking to? All right. Uh, it really is, you know, the, the six W's and the H uh, that we learned uh, back in, you know, I guess junior high for most of us, uh, you know, the, the who, what, when, where, why, uh, whom, um, how, on that, you know. So, so when we look at every Bible passage, we always want to understand the context. Now, in an epistle, in a, in a letter, once you get the basic context, the passage context normally doesn't vary uh, very much. But in the book of Acts, some of the parts of the context will stay consistent, but then some will change from paragraph to paragraph. And so that's why I typically ask you different contextual questions, just so we're understanding what's the situation for this paragraph. You know, who's there? Uh, what's taking place? How does it relate to what just took place? Uh, because knowing the context is very important. Knowing what people are there. Jewish people, Greek people, mixture of both on that. And so just tying it into the time frame can help us to you know, visualize, okay, as we move through that first century uh, church and getting started, you know, okay, now here's where we are at this point. So uh, let's go ahead and let's walk through the passage now and kind of understand the overall paragraph, but let's walk through and see what's there. So somebody just give us a read again on 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Okay. Why do you think Paul said that? We don't, we don't see it in here. So this is us as believers, you know, trying to read between the lines and, and hypothesize uh, because how much we know Paul uh, from the letters and, and his story. Why do you think that Paul might be suggesting that he and Barnabas do this? Holy he wanted Spirit? To follow up, I'm sorry. He wanted to follow up with them and make sure that they were not being led astray like in the other church. You know, if you think about disciple-making relationships, part of that is circling back. Yes. You know, you might walk with a person for a period of time, and then you might get separated. Uh, you might just not be as in, you're walking with them as regularly, but then you circle back uh, because it's kind of like that parent uh, with the spiritual child, and you just want to double-check, check in with them so that, you know, hopefully they're <coughs> tracking on that. 
David, what did you point out? I said the Holy Spirit's guidance. Yeah. We see later on that the Holy Spirit's stopping them from going places. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, when we look at the different epistles uh, and then more in the book of Acts with Paul, uh, as well as some of the other guys along the way, they're listening for the Holy Spirit to guide them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and Paul says, you know, I'm going to come to you, you know, unless, you know, something else stops me along the way uh, type of thing there. And so... For us, all right, how do we need to be engaging the Holy Spirit then that would be similar to this? I said similar, not exact. We have to be in constant prayer and um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Fellowshipping with others, listening, okay. seeking guidance, okay. sharing. Yeah, you know, it's one of those where if we really trust God with our life, then we should listen to Him and listen to Him guiding us or prompting us when we're around other people. And that's where, <clears throat> I'm not saying that you need to have a big, huge gospel conversation with everybody you meet, but can you have some level of a gospel conversation? Mm -hmm. And when I say some level of a gospel conversation, I'm talking about that you talk with them or you mention Anything on God's story. So from creation, fall, redemption, and then pastor is more calling it new creation instead of restoration. Uh, we picked that up at, at the GAD. That, that's the school get acquainted days. Um, but when you think through God's whole story, creation, fall, redemption, new creation, to me that is the good news. Mm -hmm. Now, the core of the good news, the core of the gospel is Jesus, God the Son, died on the cross, was resurrected, and ascended on that. So that's the core of the gospel, but yet more and more people, they need more understanding of the Bible. And the Holy Spirit can convict anybody at any point, but yet... Most people that, well, most people that I've been around, if they didn't have any understanding of the Bible and God, they needed to have a little more understanding before they got to the point that they could surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Especially, even here in North Carolina, you know, the, the buckle of the Bible belt, more and more people are unchurched. Okay? Now, we grew up, you know, more around people that were churched to some extent, or the community was more churched, and so they had uh, a decent amount of Bible knowledge, even though they might not be believers. But more and more, everybody you're around today, unless it's church people, they're going to be people that maybe have never even been in church except for a wedding or a funeral. And so if you, if you just nail them with, you're lost, you're going to hell, you need Jesus so you don't go to hell. You'll push them away. Yeah. And so that might be where you just need to start talking to them and link God to creation, mm -hmm. like Bruce was doing here. You know, and, and he just didn't jump on everybody with, with the puppies going on there, but he's trying to point that, hey, there's a creator. This didn't happen by accident. You know, because for some people, that's a huge movement, moving from, you know, there is no such thing as God, and everything's bi biology and evolution, to get them to start pondering you know, intelligent design to some level, that's, that's a movement, you know, in there. And so I just want to challenge you, just like with Jerry, you know, gave his little testimony there. You got to be open to the Holy Spirit nudging you around people. And again, doesn't mean you have to be a big, huge, long conversation, but some level of conversation. Drop a little bit of tidbit in there type of thing. Um, and then, like, the more you go back to the same dog park or the more you walk on the street, you're going to build a relationship. You're going to start seeing people over and over again there. And then you pick it, that relationship up and you carry it just a little bit further. Or even if it is a one-off, at least you've opened the door. You know, you've scattered a little seed. You've put a little water. you put a little fertilizer. Maybe you pulled some weeds out. And then the next believer is going to come along and do a little bit more. I saw a hand, somebody. One. So I, it just makes me think, you know, in the previous uh, verses mm -hmm. where, you know, there was this, this issue that this council came together. So mm -hmm. I wonder 
if 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 this trick that they're making, this circle of you know going back to churches, is to either articulate what we just learned, you know, from hey, um, you know, the council mm -hmm. and everything. Okay, this is what you know is coming from the council, or to make sure that they're not doing, you know, things wrong. I would go more the second one, okay. because since it was Paul and Barnabas that led the first missionary journey, mm -hmm. their teaching's been solid the whole point. It was other people, other Judaizers that were coming into Antioch there in Syria that were trying to bring in circumcision and things like that to believers. And that's why Paul and Barnabas went down, because they, they needed more ammunition, more authority okay. to tell these people to be quiet. On that, so so it wasn't that because so they taught it correctly the first time, but it's the second part that you were saying, because we have to admit, drifting away from God, is natural. Yes. When we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world, first off, we're sinners, mm -hmm. and so we're pulling ourselves more naturally away from God unless we're intentionally pushing back in with God daily so we're our own worst enemy the world around us is at odds with us and then satan and his dominion in some level are against us so drifting away from god is the natural path that, that we will go on unless we're intentional about not letting us go down that path and so that's why he want he, he wants to go back there and make sure that they're not getting drifted or that nobody else is coming along and guiding them the wrong way. Okay. Anybody else seeing anything there in 36 that you want to point out? Or anything we've missed? Well, I think this is important, really applicable nowadays just because when, you know, if you, it's not us that converts anybody, but if you're with somebody and they come to Christ, you know, through you, mm -hmm. a lot of times I've seen they just kind of get, oh, you're saved, on to the next one. And they don't get really mentored in the faith and um, they kind of just get like abandoned you know a lot of times and I've seen that do a lot of damage so I'll just do this for fun <clears throat> so which is more important helping somebody to become a believer or helping somebody become a disciple of Jesus which is more important disciple of Jesus Believer. Is that a trick question? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Yes. Well, okay, we'll go back to the, the first discipling, one. <laughs> it already includes the other one. I think if you open up a disciple, that person is going to go to believe, make more people believers as well. So that's well, you have to believe to get saved. Yes. Yes. That's right. right. So I'd have to. So you keep. <laughs> <laughs> but we're Just, the only disciple. Can we pick A and B. Yeah. <laughs> In a way. <laughs> so if we have two goals at anything, what normally happens? You'll emphasize one and be emphasize the other. Okay. For fifty years, most churches have focused on well, yes, the Great Commission says we're, we're supposed to make disciples. But we need to help people believe in Jesus and get them saved first. So they would do that or try to do that. And then once they said a sinner's prayer uh, and said that they were a believer, then they would go, okay, now we're on to goal number two. The problem is when you're presenting the gospel that you need Jesus because you're going to hell so that you don't go to hell, all right, once you get Jesus, well, that's all you need because that's what they were being told. You know, all, all you need is Jesus so you don't go to hell. And so then once they get Jesus, or at least think that they do on that, and then you try to say, well, now he's supposed to be Lord of your life. You're just like, you know, lots of people are like, you just told me I needed Jesus as Savior. You didn't say nothing about I needed Jesus as Lord of my life. Hey, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven now, so that's all I need. Bye. And so that's why I want to push in and say, as some had said, Leslie alluded to it there, if we're focused on making disciples of Jesus from lost people, 
the goal of them becoming a believer is part of the process. So it's not a two-stage. It's like the goal is them reproducing as a disciple into other lost people. And oh, by the way, along the way, they're going to become a believer. But if you try to do it in two stages, I think we're going to see the same effects that we've been seeing in the last 50 years, which is this, 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 this on that part. So it is a trick question in, in a certain way on that. Bruce? How, how would you try and get someone to be a believer? You can't give them the whole picture. You got to be a believer. Now you got to uh, uh, pray every day. Now you got to join a church. Now you have to serve us in the church. Now you have to tithe. Now you have to make You can't give them all that at the beginning. So how, how much do you give them at, at, at the beginning? So my line is you listen to their story yes. so that you can connect them to God's story through your story. At their pace. Yes. So whatever's going on in their life, as you're talking to them, so let's just say it's their children are disobeying them and they're struggling with dealing with that. So then for me, my go-to is, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about because when, when Matthew and Kinsey you know, would disobey me, it would get to me. And, and I was very frustrated. But the more I looked at how God handled Adam and Eve when they disobeyed him, he gave them consequences, but yet he still came alongside them in the midst of those consequences and helped them to try to succeed. So for me as a dad, I tried to do that more. I still gave them consequences, but yet I tried to come alongside them through the consequences to be successful and move forward. So right there, I was listening to an episode in their life that they're struggling with. I looked at God's story, well, for you guys it's here, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And I'm like, hey, there's this one little point right over here at the beginning of the fall. I'm, it connects with their story, and I can connect it through my story. And then that's, that's it. So I'm not trying to give them everything on the storyline. But for that moment, at that time, I gave them a bit. And then so it's just at the pace that, the, that God opens up, the Holy Spirit opens up. You know, now, if you're sitting in an airplane and the person sits down beside you and they just open the door and you can, like, tell the whole story of God, power to still you. tell it and they're yeah. locked in an airplane. <laughs> so, but, that, but, yeah, that's where, but the key is, you are looking at Jesus as Savior and Lord. So your story is always going to have those two tethered together. And so that's my challenge to everybody is you always tether your story with Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because that's what I think we failed for the last 50 years. We kept presenting Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Savior. But we weren't presenting Jesus as Lord and so whatever gospel people get saved under, to me, is the gospel Then they, they live it out. So if the gospel somebody gets saved under or becomes a believer is just saying Jesus is Savior so you don't go to hell, they'll just live that out the rest of their life. But if you give them a balanced gospel through your testimony of that, you know, Jesus gave you a belief system, but now he's ruling and reigning in your life, and you show them together both, then once they become a believer, they're tracking that Jesus is both. So it's not fire insurance away from hell. It's that so they can actually be like Jesus in sanctification. Did that do okay? Hit it? Very well. Neil? Yeah, the Bible speaks of the milk before the meat. So, as a and that's true. You know, we don't need to give them systematic theology. And that's why within our microgroups, you know, we're very intentional about we're not trying to teach. So in our microgroups, you know, we're going through first and second Peter this spring. The goal is not to become an expert on first and second Peter. The goal is to become a Bible self-feeder. 
And so the goal each week is to work through observation, context, interpretation, and application with a brand new chapter. And so that's where you got to start people off on the low level on the milk. And then the more they're eating, drinking, they start feeding themselves, then it's more heavy duty, more heavy duty. I would like to, I'm sorry, I would like to add that um, I'm sure Bruce is it, didn't mean it this way, but I don't believe we should say you have to do this and you have to do this and because we're going to get slapped back with what I thought you said all have to do is believe. So we don't have to do it, but I get to, I desire to do it. But putting that out there and telling them, well, as a believer, you have to do this and it's going to push people away as well. I know that yeah. firsthand. And that's where... To me, love relationship, yes. if you can focus everything in your life on the vertical love relationship and the horizontal love relationship and how you live out those relationships, that's what we're being obedient in. So it's not us coming to church. Coming to Berean tonight is an opportunity for us to grow in our horizontal love relationships with each other and help each other grow our personal vertical relationship. And so that's where, again, for the last 50 years, we've pretty much been telling people, well, you just gotta go to church. If you're, if you're, if you're gonna get saved, you need to be in church. No, people don't need to be in church, they need to be around other believers. Mm -hmm. Now, being here at the church is just a good opportunity to do that. Right. And so it's, it is how we phrase things, uh, and we want them to become obedient to the Holy Spirit, but you have to help them to let the Holy Spirit take them down that road. I would say, I agree with everything you're talking about here, but I can say from our own experience, you know, as we got saved in this environment of just say the sinner's prayer, and so many people just said that, and they went off thinking, you know, they've got their ticket punched to heaven, mm -hmm. which is not true. But, um, but there were others who really, you know, they did believe in Jesus Christ, and he was Lord in their life. But when we got saved, we didn't really know what him being Lord in our life was or how, it, you know, how that was supposed to be lived out mm -hmm. because we were just green as grass we, we were euphoric mm -hmm. because we would had this sin debt taken off of our mm -hmm. shoulders but we had no one there in that church which was purely focused on the numbers of souls saved mm -hmm. this year right. and they plastered it on the wall but there was no one there to disciple so it's so important that you know um, there is that other group that goes forward on an altar call or something and they sincerely accept Christ as Lord and Savior, but then they, they get lost because there's no emphasis, there's, there's no one there to help them to, you know, like do a Bible study or to, to now show them, um, you know, how do you live as Jesus being Lord in your life? You know, what, what are the next steps? And that's why everything's about relationship. It's not the programs of the church. It's the relationships that we have with each other in the church. And so even in preaching, preaching is the least relational. Okay? So when it comes to discipling, large group is the least effective in discipling. Okay? Mm -hmm. I did not say it's not important. Mm -hmm. Even though somebody in the church, you know, 10 years ago, said that I said that it wasn't important and it didn't make a difference. They didn't hear me correctly on that. Um, so it's the least effective, but it's still vitally important to the life of church and setting the culture for a personal relational disciple making. And the more you can make it relational, then the greater discipling effect it will have. So that's why when you hear pastor using names, multiple different names through the service, He's trying to make it relational uh, in different ways as much as possible in that. Jerry? Along with what Lynn was saying, you can check all the boxes. Mm -hmm. And you got saved, you've been fed, people's around you, support you, 
pick you up, but I didn't see this massive change that you're alluding to until I picked up and said, okay, it's my turn to contribute. It's my turn to pick these scriptures. So it's my turn to sit there and read this. I don't understand it. Find a way to understand it. So I can see all the people that's in that position. And you can see, I call them pew sitters. Um, how do you get those people into that stage? Because that was my problem in my past was, I checked the box and I'm saved and I'm good to go. Right. Okay, so, but it wasn't until I started doing my part. So I want to know how do you encourage somebody to 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 do their part. So relationship, 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 and then the goal of helping people become self feeders of God's word. We have to tell our story just like you were telling your story. Same thing for me. What grew me in Christ and brought transformation in Christ's likeness was being in the Word. And so that's why I'm so dogmatic about we need to be focusing on creating self-feeders of God's Word. It's not enough to come once a week and just listen to a sermon. It's not enough to come twice a week and listen to a sermon in a Sunday school lesson. It's not enough to come three times a week, Sunday service, Sunday school, evening service. It's not enough to come four times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now it will help you, but what will really help you is when you're in His Word yourself as regularly as possible. Now I would say try to do it daily, but if you're at zero days a week, you doing it one day a week, that's a great first step. Just So just, just take that step. You know, So that's why, you know, I try to push people into, you know, regular Bible reading. That's why I do the text group with other guys because I want us to be doing the Bible reading so it's accountability, but then we're actually sharing something. So that forces us to read with intentionality. Okay, what, what's my takeaway today? You know, what do I need to be thinking about? And then you get to share it with, other, you know, some other guys and it just goes from there. But I'm with you. It's us being in the Word that makes us become Christ-like. Mm -hmm. Uh, and without that, we're probably just going to be a pew sitter mm -hmm. for however long Jesus leaves us here before he comes back. Neil? And, and I, I read, a, I read a, something that said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this yes. book. <laughs> and, and also, Bible, B-I-B-L-E, is basic instruction before leaving earth. Mm -hmm. So it's important <laughs> that we stay in this. And, and if we, we push it aside because we heard the preacher on Sunday, we're good to go for another week. Hey, guess what? Ah, you're not good to go for another week. So circling back to where Lynn had us a little bit ago, so this line is just time, and then this is the believer level, okay? Uh, that's the believing line, true believing line. So when we're talking to people with gospel conversations, we, we, we help them have a little bit of some kind of spiritual understanding. And then what will happen is they'll probably taper off for a little bit, you know, and then maybe the next conversation or somebody else will help them a little bit more. Now, again, not trying to box God because the Holy Spirit can today on that. But when we read Scripture and if you're engaging in people, that doesn't typically happen in 2024, all right? Uh, and so I don't want to get your hopes up that, you know, every time you have a conversation with a homeowner while you're there wiring there, you know, if they're, if they're already a believer, great, but if they're lost and they don't get saved on that one, you know, call, I don't want you to be defeated and be like, you know, sure. yeah. you know obviously it's going to take more. So as we, you know, now the Holy Spirit's working more and more within them or they're allowing the Holy Spirit work more and more within them. Typically, there's a point here where you have some kind of engagement with God or you realize you have an engagement with God. Sadly, my perception over the last 50 years, and so when I talk about the last 50 years, that's just what I've come to look at after the 1940s. I think things changed in the United States, and we could go into that at another time. Um, 
But that's where you'll get a lot of people, all of a sudden, they say a sinner's prayer, they have this emotional moment with God, and somebody else comes alongside them and pats them on the back and says, congratulations, you're saved, you're going to heaven. You gave them their assurance of their salvation. They didn't get assurance of salvation, but you gave it to them. So now they're like, I'm good. And they live the rest of their life mm -hmm. right there. And so when I say Matthew 22, that's another term you'll hear me repeat over and over. Once you're around me for a little bit of time, you'll realize we have the same talks over and over again. So it'll be like, okay, it's time to go to a different class uh, so I can hear something <laughs> different. And, and I'm okay with that. But, you know, Matthew 22 just, it hurts me. Because, you know, when Jesus is saying, you know, many people will come to me expecting to get welcomed in to heaven. No. Check it, but no. Um, is it Matthew 7? It is Matthew. Man, what am I doing here? Thanks, honey. Good for you, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew 22 is love the Lord your God and love others. So, sorry, my, my big one's past this year. But you get to the point to where they're expecting to get welcomed in by Jesus, but what does Jesus say? I never knew you. And then, then they list off, you know, well, I did this. I was a church member. I taught Sunday school class. I was a deacon. I was an elder. You know, they list all these things off, and he goes, but I never knew you. We never had a relationship. And so that's why we can't give people assurance of their salvation. Okay? We've got to let the Holy Spirit give them assurance of salvation. Now, you can walk with them and be with them, all right? And you can talk to them and you can say, well, it seems like God's at work in you. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't wait to see that continue. But now, if it doesn't continue, then you probably don't actually have a relationship. So, so we can still be encouraging but we just can't tell them you're saved and you're going to heaven. We have to tell them you're going to be able to see that in your own life. Now, what um, uh, what Lynn was saying is so then people get to hear, but then often, then they live like that. So they are true believers, but yet nobody ever came alongside them relationally and discipled them. And so they're a mile wide and an inch deep on that part. That's the church's fault. That, that is our fault. Now they, they, have, they bear responsibility, but we've set the culture in churches for the last 50 years that have allowed that to happen. Both of these. Now what we need to do within a disciple-making relationship, just like down here where we're walking with people relational and they'll have little spurts, that's what we have to keep continuing. We've got to keep walking with people. And then they'll plateau off a little bit or slow down. And then we, as we continue to walk, then a little more, you know, and then a little more, and then a little more. And then sometimes they might have a little valley in there, but then you walk with them relationally, and then you keep on going. You know, that's what we should be doing in a disciple-making culture that's personal. Personal means it's my responsibility. It's not Berean's responsibility. Now, as staff and as elders, it's our responsibility to try to set the culture but yet, we're not trying to be disciple makers as a corporate church. Jesus wasn't talking to First Baptist Jerusalem when he said, go and make disciples. He was talking to Lynn, he was talking to Don, he was talking to Meredith, he was talking to Dee. He said, you go make disciples, you go make disciples, you go make disciples, you go make disciples. And so that's where we have to realize the Great Commission is personal. And then that's where... You need to look over your shoulder every once in a while. And, and what are you looking for when you look over your shoulder? If you're doing better than you were. You need to see if you're doing more Christ-like, you're growing more Christ-like. But you all should be seeing if there's anybody following you. Yeah. Are, are you leading anybody in a disciple-making relationship? Mm -hmm. And then can you see people that God's used you in their life to disciple them? Because that's what John 15 is about. You know, 
the fruit and he's going to cut you off or prune you. That's not fruit of the Spirit in John 15. That, that, that is you being a disciple that makes disciples that makes disciples. And so, you know, we just have to see those things more clearly. And we haven't been painting that picture in the church on that. And so but that this has got to be where we're going so that we don't end up on either of the two situations that Lynn talked about mm -hmm. on that. Good point, Lynn. All right. Let's jump back in. So we got all that out of verse 36. We're doing good. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, go ahead and read 37. Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark. Okay. So what do you see in that verse? Well, who's in the verse? Well, it says Barnabas. Okay, so Barnabas is in the verse. All right. So what, what do you see Barnabas doing? St. Meredith. Disciple. He wants to take Mark with him. Yeah. To strengthen his team. Okay. Now, what happened, you know, a little while ago with, with John Mark? He left. You know, he bailed on them. Mm -hmm. You know, he started on the first missionary journey, went with them to Cyprus, and then they went over to Pamphylia. Pamphylia. You know, and then we don't know what happened exactly, but he broke camp, went back to Mama in Jerusalem. <laughs> That. That's, that's all we know. Those are just the details we try to read between the lines, but that's all we know. But here's Barnabas. Why do you think that he wants to get John Mark to go back on this second journey? He's living his name. Bless you. He's living his name, the encourager. And then say it, Clyde. Say what? <laughs> what, what? What you said 60 seconds ago. What did I say 60 seconds <laughs> <laughs> I think it was you. Strengthen his team. Well, no, it, it's, he's making disciples. Well, you know, it's back to what you said there, too. Mm -hmm. Because he may have been saddling up next to Mark mm -hmm. to help bring him attention. Because for some reason he bailed. Yeah. And only they know what the reason was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was standing up for the fact that he's doing exactly what you said up there, carrying him on through. Mm -hmm. Because he probably saw in Mark some things that could be used mm -hmm. for... Because not all of us will be able to deal with anybody. Mm -hmm. That's why we've always been taught that some of us will sow, some of us will yes. reap, some of us may be doing both. Mm -hmm. But we, the first most important thing before we worry about them coming to Christ, you know, in discipling, is to plant that seed. Because we may not be available to see that happen. Someone else might. We might be blessed. But I was going to say a few minutes ago, too, in that movement, you got to reach a point where through their studying and sounding that they understand who the Holy Spirit is and who's going to help them do the discipling, not Clyde Odom. You know, uh, you, they've got to understand that. And uh, I've always cringed in these big uh, in-stadium preaching services, no names mentioned, where afterwards you got to walk forward, mm -hmm. what happens to all those people after? Mm -hmm. Because I've been involved over the years with being trained to be one of those people standing down front to mm -hmm. talk to somebody. And you bring, they say the words. Mm -hmm. They believe in Christ. But what happens after that has always concerned and scared me for what you say we're supposed to be doing. So Barnabas is basically looking over his shoulder towards Mark. Yeah. Follow up. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where, you know, when we look at, you know, the big events, a lot of people had an emotional moment, mm -hmm. right? Some were on this side of the line. Now, if they had follow up, then they could have been helped along the way. Some did get the follow-up, and they actually became a believer the next week or two weeks later or three weeks later. Uh, that's when they actually got it all put, all the pieces together on that part. But there were some that truly had a moment there on that. And so that's why we can look at that type of evangelism, and we can talk about pluses and minuses, 
but we can't poo-poo it and say that it was a waste and that God didn't do it. I didn't, or didn't mean use that. It. Like that. So, but we, but it's okay for us to critique it to make it better to move it forward. You know, and and yeah. even you know even Billy Graham talked about you know he wished they had better focus on the follow up. Even though they had a pretty tight focus on follow up, it still would fall through the cracks with a lot of people along the way. Um, let's see, where were we there? Well, this verse here also says that Barnabas was determined. Mm -hmm. Says he was determined to take John Mark. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just you know a casual you know hey suggestion. You know, maybe he saw that um, Barnabas may have fallen a little bit way by the wayside. Barnabas? Barnabas. Not Barnabas. Barnabas saw John Mark. John Mark yeah. fall by the wayside. Yeah. And there could have been a communication between them that, you know, Mark says, boy, you know, I really kind of messed up. Mm -hmm. So Barnabas is willing to give him a second chance. Mm -hmm. yeah. And here's and where we don't know, but, you know, having been to Jerusalem, all right. Last year we've been very blessed on that part there. Mm -hmm. It's not that big. Okay? So to me, it sounds pretty logical if Paul and Barnabas with the others went back for the Jerusalem council, I'm going to guess pretty heavily, and if I was a betting man, I would bet that while they were there for the Jerusalem council, they saw John Mark and reconnected with him. Again, we don't see that in Scripture in any way. That's just me extrapolating out between the lines. But again, the city's just not that big. And so if you're a believer in Jerusalem, you know, in the first century there, and there's this big conference, you're going to be around each other. Uh, and then we already know that, you know, John Mark's mom seems to be somebody of wealth, and more than likely it was her house that hosted the, the Last Supper and some other meetings along the way. And so she's connected in with that group anyways. And so I'm thinking that they talked to him, or at least Barnabas talked to him. You know, Paul might have snubbed his nose and kept on walking. Uh, but Barnabas, I think, talked to John Mark, and John Mark maybe showed some remorse, and you know, he, he's matured in the last year or so that this has been going on. And that's why Barnabas wants to give him another shot. Well, you showed concern for him. Yeah. You don't know what Barnabas thought from the time he departed before of concerns over Mark. And all of a sudden they're brought together again, uh, an, a godly opportunity, because uh, he probably wouldn't have on his own gone and searched him out. You know, um, So it was an opportunity to um, yep. disciple. It's all about that relationship, having that compassion. Okay, I so I'm sorry, I can't help but wonder if Barn, uh, not, if Barnabas saw in, in John something really, really good. He made a mistake. He stumbled, mm -hmm. but he's done great in the past. Mm -hmm. And so, why not take him along with us? It's it's like Paul was pretty strict. Yeah, well, let, let's let's read let's read, read somebody read 38 yeah. for us. So let's get into that. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, Paul's pretty stern mm -hmm. on this and he's pretty locked in. Now, he's here's where here's yeah. where we can talk about options. Mm. Okay? Option 1 is Paul's hearing from the Holy Spirit, no. Or he's unstable. Yeah, you know, there's... Th Mark, you know, he feel like Mark may be unstable. Yeah. You know. He'd be more of a hindrance than yeah. a good. Yeah. Now, another option is that Paul's just very focused, all right, mm -hmm. and he has personal perspectives and personal opinions, and he just doesn't think it's a good fit. I'm not saying he's in sin at that point, okay? Mm -hmm. That's the third option. Okay. The second option is just within his experience, reading the room, reading John Mark, he feels like John Mark is not there. It's not the Holy Spirit saying no. It's Paul saying no. But within our lives, I don't think that everything is something that God says yes or no through the Holy Spirit to us. You know, I think he allows us with the wisdom that he's given us with the Holy Spirit as our guide 
to be able to use that wisdom in decisions. And so that's my number two option on this. Number three is he could just have a mic moment and been very selfish and upset and emotional that John Mark bailed on him and he could care less about John Mark and the Holy Spirit's trying to say through Barnabas, bring him, bring him, bring him, second chance, second chance. And Paul's like, no. And he's in sin. I don't, I don't know. But I think this gives us an opportunity to talk about those three options because then we get to do application. Yeah. You have two different personalities there. Oh, yes. <clears throat> and you got Paul, you got to remember where he came from. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, even though he's a Christian now, born again, he's a pretty stern, le he's a leader. Yep. In other words, he's a decision maker. Yep. Where back to like Lynn said, Barnabas is a uh, encourager. encourager. Yep. So that's two different. Uh, that's why I give the second two. option. <clears throat> okay. Where I, where I say. That, that it's Paul making the decision. The Holy Spirit didn't tell him exactly no. It's Paul, through his life experience, through his wiring, through the way he is, using his gifting, to say no on that part. Again, not in sin. Now, the third option is that he could be in sin on that. Who could be in sin? That Paul could be in sin, that John Mark is supposed to go with him, uh, but he's being too obstinate, and, and, and he's in sin. We don't know which of the three that it is. The sin part comes in the next verse. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get there a second. We, we don't know which it is, actually. But it's good for us to talk about what it could be, because then for us, we could find ourselves in any of those three options ourselves on that. Jerry? I'm looking at Mark. Mark's the one I'm, I'm worried about here. Mm -hmm. And in this case, if Paul's that way, it's not good for Mark to be around Paul. Now, Paul may straighten up later after he cools down or whatever causes him to think. Well, he might be on track. But at this point, I can see it's best in that situation that Mark gets some help. Let's go to Barnabas. Let Paul go this way, and hopefully it'll all wind up and they're all chummy buddies again. But that's just, I feel for Mark here. But well, they we were both committed to their idea. Yes. Because Barnabas was determined mm -hmm. and Paul insisted. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where, you know, uh, I believe that, so you go to 39. And then there arose a sharp disagreement mm -hmm. so that they separated from each other. That's the bad part. Okay. So there's a little bit of a bad part there. All right. There's probably a little bit of sin on both sides there. But yet... Maybe it's only in the attitudes that there's sin. In the actions, there might not be sin. The disagreement might still be an okay thing. Because I believe that if it's not a black and white issue in Scripture, I believe because the way you're wired and what you've experienced, you can make this decision. You can have, you have Paul here and you have Barnabas here. And they're making the best decision that they know how from their life experience, from the Holy Spirit guiding them. But it be two different decisions. I'm not saying that that's sin. It could be. Now, the way they have a little falling out there, the attitude part, I think we can say, is a little more sinful on that. Well, when the word contention comes out. Yeah. That, that kind of... And, and, you know, you have those same problems in relationships in the church today oh, yes. where it would be better to say let's get down and pray about this let the Holy Spirit be the final judge because you don't know who's watching you have to consider also that Paul and Barnabas went on the first trip and they were a team so they got close mm -hmm. and for this contention to split them up it was a major thing Yeah, it was but was it was it intentional? So it was good. Who do you have over your lifetime great relationships with? And on one particular issue, you guys disagree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's been here. But yet, they call you tomorrow and they need help. That's right. What are you doing? You go. Yeah. You're going. So that's where I'm not saying, or I'm not reading this and thinking that Paul and Barnabas had this big breakdown brawl and never talked to each other the rest of their life. 
even though it was a sharp disagreement, I could see that to where he's standing his ground and he's standing his ground and they just disagree. But it, it's not necessarily sin because the way he's wired and what he's reading, he's seeing this is the best path forward. What he's wired and what he's experienced and seeing, he thinks this is the best path forward. You come to a mutual decision. Agree to disagree. Yeah. And you move forward in that. But yet if you, they call you tomorrow, you're like, I'm there. Alita? I'm like, isn't this also after the um, Antioch incident where um, Paul and Barnabas had their little issue as well? They didn't have it with each other. They had it with the Judaizers that were coming in. Yeah, so, yes. but Paul, um, Barnabas, was also affected as well because he betrayed Paul when he was accused of hypocrisy by following Peter. I'm not tracking that verse. So that's in Galatians, because we just went over it yesterday. So in Galatians, you know, Peter is uh, accused of um, hypocrisy. Where he ate with the Gentiles, but then when the Jews came down, he decided not to. Yes. And then Peter also, you know, the, had the Jews and then Barnabas as well following him. Okay. So basically, um, Barnabas chapter betrayed two, him. thirteen. Yeah. Thirteen. So homework. So that's stress. Up. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. So, so that yeah, stress let's... their relationship as well. So I'm sure that yeah, put tension in there. And I'm thinking that was probably right before this scenario. Well, it would have been if it was in Jerusalem Council. So yeah, I seem to go back and be more familiar with that one. So we'll pick it back up there at 38 next Wednesday. But yeah, go ahead and look at Galatians 2.13. And then we'll, we'll pick it up right at this point uh, on that. Okay. Let me close up in prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us a time together with each other. Father, as we leave out tonight... Help us to have a good night's rest. And then, Father, give us a good understanding how we need to live tomorrow, where we need to be, what we need to be doing, how we need to be doing it. you stand and pray. Amen.